Hello and welcome to the 92nd episode of Sausage Factory, which is brought to you by Spong.com and hosted by me, Chris O'Regan. In this show, we interview video game publishers and ask them how they made their start publishing games, what their influences are and who inspires them. Split into two halves of the show, and this focuses on the developer themselves, or sort of say the publisher, and the second half will discuss the game they hit moat, or sort of say games. And this publisher this time is Slytherin Games. Marco, who are you, and what do you do? I am Marco Minoli, I am Marketing Director of Slytherin. So welcome to the show, thank you very much for coming on. As we know, normally in this regular listeners, and we've, you know, We've issued quite a few episodes now, so we've got a fair old listenership, and we normally talk about developers. At this time, we're talking about a, a publisher, a very unique publisher that publishes a very unique genre of games. Before we delve into that, let's find out a little bit more about Marco. So, how did you make your start working in the video game industry? As in the, could you give us a bit of a history, a potted history of what you've been doing. Uh, right, it was 1998. Um I was in desperate need of a job, and I started uh, in a distribution company uh, here in Italy. Um, I'm based in Milan, by the way. Um, its uh, distribution company was at companies at that time were like for for smaller countries like Italy were uh, the bread and butter of the industry. Basically, I mean, uh, big publishers would sort of, sort of never start an office because the business wasn't big enough. So they used this sort of distributors uh, and delegate marketing, PR, sales, um, so everything um, from, from, you know, from delivering the finished box to um, uh, selling it on the market. So I started there as a marketing assistant um, and started working on uh, uh, pretty big games um, and uh, for a little bit of luck and um, uh, just six months in, uh, I was thrown in as junior product manager because of uh, my boss was uh, pregnant at that time. So my first, the first game I worked with on as a, as a product manager was uh, Tomb Raider, Tomb Raider Three. Wow, um, that was. So, I mean, I was just about to say, '98 was a pretty auspicious year as video games, isn't it? Really, I mean, if you look at yeah. it, it's um, Half Life, <laughs> um, yeah, and Baldur's Gate. And yeah, as if you look at the certain peaks of years, ninety eight was one of them. So yeah, good 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 year to start. Good timing, yeah. Yeah, nicely <laughs> it was done. Good timing, yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, and the idols at that time, uh, which which I've, I've worked with for for quite a while, um, you know, was was really ramping up and starting to um, to be one of the major players in the market um, because they had stuff like champion champ, championship manager. Um, um, you know, they started the Who Wants to Be a Millionaire series, um, um, stuff like, um, uh, you know, all the ocean games, and it was, it was like a good, very good year. Um, and I, of course, I had the luck to uh, work on uh, stupendous projects like Daikatana, um, and uh, um, so big games uh, um, with lots of hype um, that failed to deliver. Um, and uh, great games like uh, System Shock and Thief, Deus Ex. So um, that was a yeah, that was a, a great time uh, for for starting in the industry. And um, I'm, I'm really pleased to ma- made the choice of, of starting there and never left since. Wow! So that's uh, that's quite quite history, especially working on IDOS. There, you know, they, they, you're right. They released some amazing games and some that. 
didn't quite deliver, but uh, the ones you rattled off in System Shock and uh, Thief, the original, yeah. that was amazing. Thief, yeah. Yeah, apart, from the, apart from the zombies. Could have done without uh, the zombies. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Yeah, it was like... Uh, I think I think that what, what was great about these games is, was that, you know, they, they were really uh, achieving the goal of introducing something really new. I mean, yes. in games. Yes. Right now, it's, it's uh, of course, it's much harder um, because, you know, uh, stuff has already been invented and introduced and, and, and such. So it's hard to create a revolution. Um, it was a time back then where when revolutions could still be happening um, and and big or big evolutions, let's say. Um, so uh, there was a, there was a pivotal change in platforms as well when, you know, PlayStation and PlayStation 2 started up um uh, so yeah i mean the, the whole the whole market changed dramatically um and um, and the business models as well and then it was then the, the time when publishers realized that you know they could have enough turnover to start their own business businesses so um further down the line that was 2003 uh i started working with electronic arts and it was electronic arts italy at that time uh it was three people in an office um, so that was like a like a startup. Um, we we were really trying to um, you know uh, represent the sort of at that time was the biggest brand video games and uh, and represent it with, with three people in, uh, and with the help of a of a local distribution company who was taking care of the sales and everything. But um, again, another big challenge um, and working for such a big company was um, something like you know you, you kind of understand. How big the market has, you know, has become after, you know, when, since when I started. People don't understand that. They just don't realise how embryonic and and people just finding their way and feeling their way and just making it up as they go along. Fifteen years ago, fifteen, maybe twelve years ago, people really didn't know what was. They, they had an inkling, and the really smart people knew what was going to happen and, and exploited it. But I just people think. Oh yeah, you know the Xbox 360. That was only like two or three years ago. No, that was ten years ago. Yeah, yeah it was. <laughs> it was actually when I, when I was working in uh, in Leader, um, the we we uh, were dealing with the, the launch of the first Xbox. Yeah. Um, and uh, there were two distributors of the actual console in Italy, and um, I remember the time of the day one. It was hell. I mean, the, the the allocation of units to point of sales and the you know uh, timely delivery, the logistics, uh, and the control that Microsoft put in um, was was amazing uh, and unseen in the uh, video game industry. They were coming from a different point point of view, right? The big corporation uh, coming in with a different ethos, different point of view in how to deal with all these distribution yeah. uh, challenges, um, we really saw uh, a, a completely different way of working. Um, and I think that the, uh, having all these bigger companies coming in the market, both for software and, and hardware, actually helped the market to uh, you know, make big leaps forward in being then compared to the movie industry or to the music industry or to you know, or or to the consumer electronics industries where that were you know much more structured and uh, organized. 
it matured, whether we like it or not, for good or ill. It did definitely mature. Yeah. Um, and there's been some good things about that, but the reason I said ill, there were some bad things. The bad things, and I know that we can talk about this later, is the um, risk aversion because of the um, massive investments now required to make games to the point where they can't even finish them now. <laughs> they can't, they release, you know, you know, here's a game, can't we? We haven't got energy, time, resources, we can't finish this. Here it is now, you buy it, and then we'll finish it off afterwards. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, yeah, it's, it's kind of, at that time it was different, but also consider the amount of games that were started but never finished, but nobody knew anything about them. No. You know, no. games that were just canned yeah. along the process just because, you know, they couldn't be finished. And, um, and now we're swamped. Absolutely swamped with games. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The shit I remember you could count uh, on one hand a game releasing on Steam over a period of a month. Now you count on one hand appearing in an hour. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's mayhem. It is. So mayhem. and uh, we can talk about this later about how you put your head above the parapet and go, "We matter. This is important. This is good," and we can actually carve a very, very important part of the industry for ourselves because it's so diverse and so broad, you can do this. But we're rushing ahead of ourselves. Let's talk about you and your ambitions and what drives you as a publisher. I mean, you've been doing this for a long time, so you must still have um, a fire in your heart for all this stuff. I do, actually. The, 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 the thing that really moves uh, me and I think, you know, the, the, the mission of the company and, and it's, it's the same thing. It's really, you know, because we work, uh, we, we address a niche. Uh, we, the niche, the word niche, every time I say the word niche in conferences and to, you know, to uh, uh, peers and stakeholders, it's always about, you know, oh, well, it's not interesting, it's small. Um, but but it's not actually true. I mean, the the, the niche we, we we try to target is a big niche. Uh, is is just is just not the video games market per se. It's just a part of it. Yeah. And and having to deal with the uh, with the difficulties of a community of a of a big community of about say you know a constant stream of about three hundred thousand people per month uh, coming to the site and having something to say and checking out what's new. Um, meaning means that you have a different challenge. It's not about creating your big, huge advertising campaign uh, on TV and you know the huge launches. It's about keeping these guys happy. Um, it's totally different perspective on on marketing, but also on developing the games and how we deliver them. Um, and every game we launch is is the challenge of of keeping these guys on board. Uh, and it, it goes from the product, uh, the development and the features it, it, it you know, it, it brings, but also the, you know, the customer support, the uh, attention to the forums and what they, what they ask for. Um, it's a much more, it's a, it's a, it's a closer uh, relationship with, with, with the players and allows us to know more about them, and and they know what to expect. It's it's really about um, less less of a, an exercise and more of a more of a, a mission, <laughs> I would say, um, every time. Uh, which which makes you know which which is what makes our lives 
daily lives so interesting. Um, okay. You know, one of the things I've done before Slytherin was uh, working for a company did, um, that did uh, expansions for Microsoft Flight Simulator. At that time, it was a you know, huge market there. Um, and again, a niche, but a big niche. Um, and that's where I started to think, you know, well, this market is big enough that there are sub-markets. Um, and yeah, the audience really has been expanding exponentially. That you, yeah. Like I said, you can carve out a, a very large piece of it, but even a, it's not so large, well, perceptive large, but the con- contents of that slice is phenomenal because the pie is so big. I don't yeah. know where I'm going with this simile, but you know what I mean. It's just a, yeah, no, no, yeah, no, absolutely. It's the same with driving games, for instance, um, or train games. Uh, there, there are there are sub markets there uh, that are made of thousands, hundreds of thousands of of players, and um, and you never realize how big these uh, markets are no. until until you you actually start looking and digging into them. Um, I think one of the greatest examples of uh, not a publisher but a brand owner that realized that is is Games Workshop. You know, they've bre- broke out from. Okay, let's do. Let's license our brand to one company. They've 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 tried and expand that um, licensing uh, uh, ethos, and they've tried different areas. And you only then you realize how many people are interested in 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 the games workshop stuff. Yeah, I remember uh, when they invented it. You know, I remember when they invented 40,000, when there was, like, rumours of, oh, they're going to make Warhammer in the future. Why do that? That makes no sense. I mean, it's just, I remember that reception, because I'm that old. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and then I remember seeing the book going, 40,000 years in the future. That's ridiculous. And then you read it, and you, you get involved with it, and you see, look, actually, this is a bottomless pit of awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, it it is an utterly ludicrous and pretty dark universe that they created, but people love it, and it is, you know, I, I, I love this photo. Um, I've got it. I'll show you to it after the show. But it's a picture of a, a stormtrooper, okay, Star Wars stormtrooper, someone dressed as one, and then right next to him is there's, there's someone dressed as a space marine. Yeah. He's twice as big. <laughs> Twice in every proportion, height, width, everything. He could cross him with his little pinky, and like, yeah. and I just thought, well, yeah, that's it. That's why, that's why people like forty k because it's ridiculous. It, but is, it goes yeah. beyond anything to like. I mean, that's why people go. How come people can't take out? Take you know? How comes orcs and take you know, or marines take so much shots because of that? <laughs> <laughs> the tanks, the walking tanks. They're eight foot tall. Yeah, yeah, and the titans, and yeah. It's, oh well, it's yes, titans are planet killers, almost. You know, it's, yeah. yeah, I find it whole. And I did notice you've got a selection of games that Slytherin uh, publishes that is based on the Warhammer. And there's, like you said, um, you know, Games Workshop has said rather than just focus on one or two publishers, or you know, just eking out little licenses here and there. They went, ah, oh, sod it, let's just throw it out. Just do it like here. You go. Do you want one? How about you? Do you want one? Do you want one? And then just all these, uh, um, some some not so good, some really great. 
most most of them are really good because they're just the, the the topic and the subject matter feeds the everything else. It's so good. Oh yeah, so. yeah, absolutely. And 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 what they did was like, all right, uh, Stephen, you're the war game specialist. You're going to do the war game of, you know, the hex based war game. Uh, cyanide. They've got the the blood bowl. Um, they. I mean, it's it's really, you know, okay. We're we're going to call for the best suited developer or publisher for that type of game. Um, and that's why they released, you know, great games like Vermintide, and, you know, just great products. Um, yeah. And there's uh, more coming out this year. Uh, of course there is. Yeah, there's, there's, yeah it's going to be huge. If, if you're a Warhammer fan, it's, you know, it's incredible. And, yeah. Uh, and it's interesting what games are sort of doing themselves and the figurines and the paper and pen and paper front, but we'll talk about that later on in the show. Because I've got some questions specifically about that and how it's influencing you, if at all. But anyway, um, so who do you most admire in the industry? It could be a person, could be a company. But who do you uh, do off your cap to and go? You should keep on doing what you're doing. Thank you very much. Right. Uh, well, I'll probably point to a couple of people. Uh, one is you know uh, Ian Livingston, just be, you know mainly because when I started. Uh, he was, uh, you know, heading idols. He was, you know, he's, he started an, a thing that was so cool from every angle that I was just like, oh, I want to be that guy, you know. Uh, yeah, I and, love the uh, story where he started Games Workshop in his flat and yeah. they were the first UK, the world's, they were European distributor for Dungeons and Dragons. By pure chance. <laughs> you think about it, it's just, just amazing. And the books and the fantasy books. Oh, uh, the, you yeah. Know, and, and, Warlock and Fires on Mountain. With, oh. with Steve Jackson. And, and, yeah, yeah. and, and then, yeah, and then the games. Yeah. Uh, remember the last, I don't know, you know, what is the last game you actually designed? Not a lot. What, one of the games that I launched, I think, I think it was 2000 or something, was a beach tycoon type of game like a beach resort okay I was just so funny such a great game great little game I mean not like civilization but you know no, a no, great no. little game but it, you know you can you can see that there's you know there's there's a lot going on in that brain so yeah I mean that that's that's my you know uh, my fire starter I would say uh, as, as a character and as a um, uh, and then uh, you know, I think that the, uh, the 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 games are are uh, the ones that drive me because you you look at what's releasing. Yes, you you're kind of overwhelmed by, by the number of games, but you can see that there's a lot out there that's fresh and new, and there's still room, so much yeah. room for you know great stuff. Um, yeah, um, I mean, I played Lovers in a Curious Space Time. I think that's what it's called. But that game's brilliant. I'm not sure if you played it or heard of it, but it, you, you, it's a two-player game where one of you controls the ship, or it's a spaceship, it's a big 2D spaceship, and one of you's controlling, like... Well, you had two, you're two little characters inside the spaceship, and there's various points in the ship where you can move around and control various bits. And like, okay, you take the shields, I'll drive... And then you drive the ship. Okay, we've got to stop there. We've got enemies blowing us up, and we've got to man the guns. It's brilliant. 
but it's just such a simple concept. Yeah. But it, look, I said, it's new. It is different. It is odd. And a game that, you know, if you went to publishers 10, 15 years ago, they go, go away. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what, yeah. That's what, um, indie games are, you know, good indie games are bringing to, to the market. They are, because there's, as you said, uh, a bit of, um, adversity to risk right now. Um, I think there, that there is in the AAA because they've got so much money to invest. Yeah. But it's starting to eat itself. You and I know this. Uh, and the mid band, I'm not sure where that is anymore. I know it exists somewhere, but it's not in hard copy anymore. People, you know, they don't, at least I don't think so. Um, but anyway, it's, it's an odd situation, a good situation, I think. But I think mid has gone off into digital only. Or, I don't know. I don't know where it's gone. I, th- I think that, I think that mid is, is, you know, it's, the, the, the difference between, you know, really big, and 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 indie indie developer with one game every I don't know two years maybe. In between there is a lot. Yeah. But, so there's no mid anymore because no. it's not a category anymore. But so there's no. there's a number of different uh, companies that are doing very very well. Uh, I I mean one of our um, I didn't call it competitor because I mean we we do different things but you know we always see it as you know look at. How good they do! How good a job they do! It's paradox. I mean, yeah. Because when when I read about you, I thought, huh? I thought paradox did, did this. Honestly, sorry, yeah. but like, no, no, then, that, that then, I, then I dug deeper and realised, no, Chris, you're being superficial. There's there's, there's, there's significant differences and strategies. Oh, no pun intended, but how can I put it? Philosophies between the two companies. Absolutely, well, yeah. obviously, it's, it's different. But you know, look at the number of big hits they had over the last. 18 months. I mean, yeah, yeah. They, they certainly do something very well. And, uh, I don't know, you would call them mid? It's, they're probably in that category of, you know, very successful, but not, you know, they're not super mainstream. huge. Right? They're, not, they're not mainstream. They're not that super huge. You give the impression that they are, but they're not. Yes, Europa Universalist is a wonderful, wonderful game, but it's not mainstream by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> No, uh, it, sell, uh, it sells a lot, and I think you know yeah. what they succeed in is you know it's very very complex games because you know Crusader Kings two is super complex. Yeah, and they link but, the two as well. So, yeah, but 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 they have uh, uh, you know the they, they manage to reach a wider a much wider audience. Uh, yeah. so I, th- I think uh, they're, they're doing very well, and and yeah, again, it's it's. It falls into that middle category uh, that you were referring to. Mm -hmm. So, um, my next question, and it's my favourite question to ask developers and publishers and just people in the industry, because it shows they love what they publish or love what they work with. What are you playing right now? Um, Gosh, it's... um, (laughs) I guess you, you usually, you know... Either you answer, I don't have time to play, or, uh-huh. <laughs> or it's like it's the next, uh, you know, it's it's a game that um, uh, we just published. Uh, Understand? So yeah. So um, no, I, I think that well, right right now I'm not uh, I'm not playing anything because I'm I'm just uh, too busy. But um, I've played um, the I think the last game that I really enjoyed was um, Verbing Tide. Um, the, yeah, the that's a, that's a that's a cork of a game, isn't it? It's um, 
It's a bit like Left for Dead, only with Warhammer. Um, yeah. From what I can gather. Um, but it's really fun killing Skaven because they're rats, you know. <laughs> you actually are killing giant rats. Yeah, no. Like and, in and every think... MMO ever. But, you know, it's actually... <laughs> yeah, the, uh, it's it's a. I think it's a game where uh, where it shows that um, uh, that there is uh, not only a good you know design behind it, but also a, lo- a good um, cohesion between the teams. You know who did the 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 the, the actual um, look and feel, uh, the UI design. The, I mean, because we, you know we, we work in the industry, I mean, we, we kind of look at this stuff. And we, we try to notice, you know, whoever has done a good job in different areas. And I think that they, how they did it was very cohesive as a, as, a, as a package. And the game works because of that. Yeah. Cool. Well, I've, I've only ever played it at Expos and stuff like that. I have yet to delve into it. I, I got distracted by XCOM 2, I think. And <laughs> well, that, I, I didn't play it, actually. Uh, but, you know, everybody loves it. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, you know, it's a good, good game to get distracted by, um, but it's, it's oh god, it's hard, dear god. Um, but uh, anything else before we move on? I mean, do you play tabletop at all? Or well, I play uh, board games. That, yeah, so I mean, uh, yeah. you know, yeah, I mean, uh, tabletop war gaming is where we come from, but I've never True. played. No, I just, I just mean, sorry, it's a dreadful phrase. Yeah, I, I've I been yeah playing a game on a table. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. No, I never played with the miniatures. Uh, I, I find me. it um, su- super, super uh, hard and, and nerdy. Although well, most of our, most of our, you know, players, some of our players do play with miniatures, and that's where we come from. Our two uh, directors, uh, JD and Ian McNeil, are are um, bo- both uh, world champions of miniature warplaying. Okay. Uh, yeah, for me, I, I see, if I see a tape measure. I go, what, are you going to measure the windows or something? You get some <laughs> curtains? I'd, I'm sorry, what are you doing? Um, I'm, just, I'm just out. I'm like, sorry, no, not interested. So the yeah. closest I come, the closest I come, and it's, it's only casual, I don't actually play it competitively, it's just a bit of fun, is X-Wing. Because it's like they've got little measuring things, but they only show to where, how you move. It's not an actual t- me- measuring thing, not an actual measuring tape. It's just like a bit of card. It's the closest but right, I, yeah, I, yeah. I would never really. I just. I can't. No, no. Um, can't be. You know. But I do play D and D, and I play lots and lots of card games. Any 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 board games of your favourites? Any particular ones you want to talk? Um, well, I mean, I'm 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 not a super hardcore board ga- board gamer, but I mm-hmm. do a lot of uh, Settlers of Catan and uh-huh. so on. And we're big we're big you know Ticket to Ride players and. Yeah. So stuff to play with with friends and you know. And I do love the, I do love the conversations having board games, which would never work in any other context. Like, no, I mean, yeah. do you have any sheep? <laughs> yeah. Okay, but not for you. What? Yeah, because well, I know what's, what's going to happen when you get yeah. that sheep. What do you mean? You're going to build a town? No, I'm not. <laughs> I might do. Yeah, it's brilliant. I just love those conversations. And settlers, I actually have a special plastic board for my settlers game. Which allows me to, you know, when all the thing, the pieces keep on moving when you put the roads down and stuff. Whereas I've got a special moulded bit of plastic, which means you put all the tiles within it and they're locked in, and therefore, and then you just put the little tiles around it so nothing moves. It's beautiful. 
He's, he, he, you've got to be proud of that. I am. I am. Uh, but I do. I do love playing board games. Um, uh, and uh, as listeners know, I, I could go on, but I don't. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I play all sorts of board. We're the wonderful board games. And one of my favourites is actually a Warhammer one called Forbidden Stars, which I would recommend you look up just for professional review i think you should look at that all right okay. yeah just have a look at it um forbidden stars it's made by fantasy flight bless them um but it's very 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 popular right now and the reason i raise it to you is you might want to look into that and maybe license it or something like that i don't know just okay. for your own professional research because it's odd um rather than um it's strategy, massive strategy game, and it's set Warhammer 40,000 um, universe. But rather than um, occupying areas, you're uh, after objectives, just objectives. You will get those objectives at any cost. These objectives are scattered all over the board, and they're usually in enemy territories, so you will do everything, everything in your power, just to get those tokens. To the point where you sacrifice armies, planets, doesn't matter. As long as you get the objective, that's all that counts. <laughs> all right. So that's, well, that, that, that kind of gameplay is a bit odd. But, yeah. One of the odd, very odd games we, we, we uh, published about two years ago, um, still going quite strong, is a game called Word in Flames. don't know if you've ever heard of. No. It's, uh, Word in Flames is like, um, imagine uh, a, a, a board war game where you actually play World War II on the world map um, we actually have we actually have uh, the printed map if you want to buy it with the game, and the actual printed map to include all the hexes uh, included is uh, 21 feet long and nine feet tall, and it's uh, it's it's basically a 200 square feet map of hexes, and and the game is actually. The whole World War Two on played on a on the on the largest possible scale. Are we talking about European campaign? It, it is everything, everything. Every theatre. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything. <laughs> it's it's just insane. And 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 we've got two type type of audience for that game. There's somebody who really I mean can't find anybody pl- for playing the game around you know the hundred miles uh, you know around his house because no. there's, there's nobody else. Um, and and so they want to sort of experience it at least in a digital format. And players actually use the game to um, calculate the results of you know of all every dice roll or you know decision they make. So they don't have to sort of sit down with you know a calculator and understand what they what they've just done. So they actually play it on the board, do the same thing on the game in the game. And then use the game to represent quickly what they've done, what they've that's, done in real life. That's insane. It is insane. Yeah, yeah. Um, I had no idea such a thing existed. I, I know there's something called Mega Civ. Look it up. Um, someone actually reproduced the Civilization board game. It supports up to ten players, I think, and takes eighteen hours to play. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, a game of Word in Flames would probably take about. Or in real life, it would probably take about three or four days. Um, it's, yeah, it's totally insane. Uh, <laughs> People don't know. You know they, think, they think chess is weird. No, sorry. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's sorry. Yeah. Although the thing about chess is, and we'll, we'll go on to the second half as we leave it, um, the thing about, I'm angry about chess. I'm going to say angry. 
This is a series of patterns. It's, ultimately, it's just patterns. And you're just, you're just vying who's going to do the best pattern. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it is. I mean, the chess, I think, is, is very much based on the, uh, the, the, the level of knowledge of the two players. Yeah. If the divide between the two players is, is big enough, then you've got a, a sure winner. Yeah. Otherwise, it's boring. I find this, it boring. You this know, is boring because, like, oh, look, they're just, it's just maths. It is. Patterns yeah. is fine. I mean, we're surrounded by patterns. The world is patterns, um, whether we like it or not. Layers upon layers of patterns, but it's just two patterns bashing against each other. And one's going to be more predictive and solid than the other. Really? Anyway, on to the next half of the show where we talk about Slytherin games. started the business in the, on the 4th of July um, in the year 2000 and we were developing, we're a developer. Uh, we've been a developer since until 2008. So for eight years we were doing a game every 18 months. Uh, our most popular game has always been Legion. Um, Legion was, uh, we did quite, did sell quite well. We're actually um, selling Legion at retail through Paradox, ah. uh, they were our publisher, and um, uh, a different, totally different company for what they are now. But um, we we did we did four games, uh, or actually five games, and actually joined the company with their last uh, game as a developer, uh, sort of helped the transition uh, with uh, you know becoming a publisher. Um, we then acquired um, a company called Matrix Games in 2010. And Matrix Games is, was and is the uh, biggest player in the world for like, hex-based, super-complex war games. Um, and at the time, uh, they were also doing something that nobody else did. Um, when we started working with them, they, were, um, they had a digital delivery platform uh, with a community of about 200,000 people, um, and for that was only addressing this type of of audience. Uh, because when you run a niche, you have to be clever about how you distribute your games. Because if you rely on on retail, 
then you're never going to get to your to all your potential audience because your potential audience is every it's big but it's everywhere. It's not big enough to justify printing the boxes and delivering ten copies to each store and, and so on. So they had to be clever and they started digital distribution long before uh, anybody else. Two thousand and three, I think they started digital distribution, which was like you know pretty pioneering for that. That is for that because time. back then. Yeah, I can't think of any distribution system. Well, Steam did he? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know when Steam started. I have to check on Wiki or something. But yeah, you're right. It's yeah. very, very early on. I mean, that's the sort of time when people wanted just tangible stuff, and the mere thought of buying code and like, there you go. What? Did I get a yeah. box? Nope. <laughs> exactly. So we we actually grew um, the business a lot um, through through that uh, merge. Um, but not only we, we sort of uh, we sort of tapped into a new audience, uh, had the chance to sort of grow it, uh, and, t- and took it from there. Um, since then, we, we then uh, acquired um, the AGO Development Studio, which at one point was also Paradox France. Uh, Paradox then um, sold it, um, and then we we got it. Um, and uh, and Shenandoah, you know, uh, the, the Shenandoah Studios. A couple of years ago, three years ago, uh, two two years ago, we bought the studio, and they are sort of the prime developer for for mobile strategy games or hex based strategy games. Okay. Um, so we we try to we try to work in growth in you know in both in an organic way, so acquiring more users and 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 launching games that appeal to a wider audience and and such, and to non organic you know through you know acquisitions and and, and so on. So we, we're a we're a pretty successful company now. We have um, way too many games uh, <laughs> we release as as a, as a marketeer. Like I can say we can say that uh, we we last year I think released like thirty two games uh, as yeah in, uh, it's eight pages yeah of, uh, a, I don't know is it a six by six grid might be more last time I <laughs> went there I was just dumbstruck and like there's too many. No, yeah, there are there are a lot, there are a lot. Yeah. yeah, there are a lot, and you know, most some of them are you know DLCs and expansions and such. But you know, yes. you know, when you launch a game, it's a game. You know, it's it's it's, it's something new. So you it, do really lots a... of collections, I've noticed. Do you, I like that little bundle pack. Say little, but there's like there's a Warhammer one that's like you can do little like every every race, but you can just get them all in one lump, which is quite good. Yeah, I think um, well, for if you take Panzer Core, which is our you know our our Biggest seller, uh, you know, it was released five years ago. We launched last month. We launched uh, an expansion for a game that was released five years ago, and it did super well. Uh, it means that uh, it, there's loyal fan base, but also uh, there's continuous discovery for these games. Uh, because, as you said, um, and and it, you know, as as a marketing guy, uh, I, I probably failed somewhere, but. You know, we're not super mainstream, so people don't really know us uh, until you know they bump into the games. And we de- we never try to actually sell uh, our brand too much um, from a corporate perspective, because you know what 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 we sell is the game, right? So uh, on one hand, we have this community which is based around the Matrix Games brand, and that's something that people, the war gamers, would know. In a you know in in the wider video games world, 
we're not really interested in selling metrics or slittering. We try and we try and sell the games. Um, so it, it's something that we we've been doing a lot. Uh, uh, you know, focus on the products because working with developers, you know, they don't care that you know we sell slittering. Uh, they want us to sell their games, and um, and and if we don't do that, then sort of they're not happy. And of course, you know, the, the goal we have is to sell the games and to, to make the developers happy about what we've done for them. What I equate that to, now you may think, oh, though, Chris, you've got the wrong end of the stick, but let's try this. I'm just thinking about it. I've been thinking about it recently. Um, the, girl, the, the games sell, should sell themselves. That's the point. The, the, the really good ones, that's, you know, they, that's how it works. So it's similar to the best bands. They don't have to do much marketing at all. Because the music sells itself, um, and um, like Nirvana is a good example, they just exploded with very little marketing. In fact, it wasn't any. They just people listened to them, whether you like them or not. I'm just giving an example. They just became the greatest, biggest band in the world because of the music. Um, for the most part, ninety percent of it was made. Ninety-five percent of it was that. And do you think this is a, there's a Similarity there. Um, I think I think that that, that for the um, special interest type of products we do, um, there is the the marketing itself is more about uh, getting getting the community on board. Right. Whilst whilst the whilst the game is in development, and you know, leveraging on betas, on um, on on involving the community, asking their opinion. Okay. And then, and then you know, actually, uh, you know, when you know, the big difference with music is that music is is art is you know it's it's something that comes that touches chords that are have not nothing to do with uh, with rational stuff. Uh, yeah, it's intangible, it, isn't it? You just feel it, something. Yeah. And you get, then it, it just triggers something inside you. Um, whether you like it or not, it's just gonna something's gonna happen. Game, um, games are a weird mix of of te- technology, art, usability. Yeah, and and so there's all these elements need to fit together. Uh, if you've got like a, the the most touching game in the world, but it doesn't work, or you can't play it because it's just awkward clicking here and there, it it doesn't work. It it doesn't sell. So you've got all these elements to fit together, and I think that. A big part is played is played by your core audience. If the core audience likes it, they will be sort of your ambassadors to attract more people and ask their friends, you know, try this, it's great. And and I think the more we, we, we try to do this, uh, the the better the marketing effort. And that's what uh, I was really alluding to is the fact that the games sell themselves. In other words, they are good, the people will like them, then they'll they'll tell their friends about them. Their friends will tell about them. And that's the same with music. You see a good band or you hear a good tune. You go, you need to listen to these guys. They're great. And you listen to it. And this expands like that. That's what I was saying. It's just the quality of the material sells itself. It should do. Yeah. yeah. What, what is harder, I guess, nowadays, and you were saying or hinted to that earlier on, is is discoverability. I mean, yeah. there's so much stuff around. Yeah. Uh, we've got we've got some games. You, you go and check the Steam page for, for some of the games. They've got, like, 90% of positive reviews, but they struggle to make, like, that extra step to sort of become super popular. Yeah. Uh, but just because, you know, there's something else that's been released 
15 minutes later. So, um, <laughs> yeah, like we said earlier. <laughs> it, it, it is, yeah, I mean, it, it is hard. and Very and, hard. Yeah. And, and to be honest, I don't think that advertising makes a lot of difference, um, although, you know, we do advertise. But I think, I think what makes the difference is, you know, and, and what I keep repeating to our developers is, you know, what our role is to give the game all the possible chances to succeed. Now, when the game is in the hands of the, of the players, it's up to them to make it successful. You know, it's like, okay, we made the launch with everything we've got into these four, first four, five, six, seven days after launch. Uh, and we will follow up with all this stuff, but these first days are your your window. You know, it's if people start being happy about the game, you you, you know the game ha- you, the game can fly. Yeah. Um, so it it is uh, it is a hard role because you've got like these first few hours, few few you know few days after launch, you're kind of bracing bracing yourself to wait and see what happens. Um, and, um, and, you know, our real plus is that we have a list of 400,000 people who might be interested in that. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's like, yeah, that, that's, the, that's the big selling point, I guess. Yeah. So, first proper question then. Slithering Games specializes in publishing. I believe turn-based strategy, but I think there is some RTS in there as well. But you know, many of which are now on the iPad or, or tablet. Does the, this focus on a particular genre become more of an enabler than a restrictor? And uh, do you then feel you get the best at this fixed type of genre? Uh, yeah, well, it, it is our it is our mission. I mean, to to get uh, you know good turn-based strategy games out there um, and. You know, you said about iOS, and in general, iPad games are are have been uh, a big success for us. We released our first uh, iOS game probably about five years ago, um, a game called Battle Academy. And when we released it, we released a, a game on iOS, nineteen dollars and yeah, which most people, people would go, are you insane? Yeah, but, and people yeah. were like, what the hell are you doing? Um, yeah. And um, it was super successful. We were like, you know, this is the best strategy game around. I mean, the, the market was, wow. I mean, the, there's, there's there's space for fully featured, fully fledged, you know, big games on this platform. It's not only about you know, casual birds flying around. Yeah, and um, well, to the point, you know, you haven't got these big ads going, you now have to wait four hours before you can make your move your next unit, unless you give us 50 pence. Yeah. How about Indeed. get stuffed? You know, <laughs> sorry. Uh, Indeed. But, you know, I just... Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, it, it's a different, it, it, much different approach. I mean, this is why, uh, you know, why we're successful initially. Now, the same model is is really fading right now, although we had... A game called Pike and Shot last year was, you know, very successful. Uh, we launched the Warhammer game, we launched Panzer Corps, but we start sort of starting to drift out, out of the um, of, of the iOS platform because, well, first of all, the costs for uh, for creating games for that platform are are increasing now because of the technology, um, and second, the uh, the store itself, the App Store itself, 
is just uh, and forget forgive me for this, but it's just a mess. You know, it's no, 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 it's no, hard. No. Yeah. It's not like Steam, where I mean, Steam. Okay, Steam is not created, so you you will you will you will play your chances on the, on the same ground as any other publisher. Uh, but it is a store that is meant to be selling stuff and you know addressing a lot of the a lot of the issues of finding game towards the customer they do they put a lot of effort into you know how do we improve this um the app store is just is just insane how how it's it, you, you can't find a product it's it's impossible no. unless you know and you go and look for it yes you can't and find a product. Google plays this is bad, um, and it's just they're all you know all three, well both of them really. Let's face it, Android and iOS they suffer from the same problem, um, in that they have it's just a wash with junk, and the only way you're going to get a game or that's worthy of attention is like, oh, it's you just word of mouth, just, just yeah. word of mouth. I mean the Room trilogy of games, like yeah, how do we know about that? Because people found out about them and they started playing them and going, people need to play this. You know, and and they're they're a great example of a a single slice game that you buy and as a beginning, middle, and end. And there's no in-app purchases, nothing. There's no ads, nothing. It just you bought it, play it, done, and it's fine. It's fine. So yeah, and um, and there's lots of really really deep RPGs out there as well. There are there are there's great games on iOS. Yeah, really so good games. It's just freaking finding the blast. And and the problem is that most of the developers. They won't make enough money to, you know, to pay their no. coffee. I th- uh, yeah, I think the most successful ones are the ones that actually distribute on both platforms. I say both. So on PC or Mac or Linux, or whatever, they release it on that, and then they put it on um, iOS as well. You know, Transistor is a good example, and yourselves are a good example of that too, where you've made you've you've got an audience already on the PC, and they go, oh, by the way, you can get this on iPad as well. By the way. Um, so you can be on the train destroying northern Germany. <laughs> yeah, and 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 we we've in, we've implemented uh, you know cross play, so there you can is. actually play on iOS yeah. and finish your game on PC later on, or play against the, someone who's playing on PC. Um, so yeah, there's there's a lot of, I mean, I, I can't say we're innovators because that's you know that's not the case, especially for you know for for finding you know, business areas, but we know that when there is a market that's big enough to contain a part of a potential world gaming audience, we'll, we'll definitely go for it. So you know what I mean? It's like, you yeah. know, this, the number of iOS devices is now whatever. Um, I don't know what it was in it's 2010, many, but yeah, whatever. Yeah. But, you know, okay, there's enough iOS devices out there that a part of these guys will be war gamers. And if you're the first war game on that platform, then your game's going to be successful because it's it's like the only one. Yeah. Um, and that's how we approach the market. Now, it, over the years, of course, there's many more people that publish these publish games on iOS um, and war games, especially. Um, and and now uh, and then then there's like two million products and you can't find anything, so it's harder and harder to get to get. Uh, views on your game yeah and it's you know it's getting increasingly crowded it's great for the consumer I think but I don't think so really I mean unless unless Apple finds a way of of restructuring the stores so that the consumer knows what to look for right now I mean you still have the same categories you had 
six years ago. Yeah. Uh, same layout, uh, same rankings. And that was fine for when there was a handful of them, but now there's yeah, uh, it's actually, totally different. there's actually millions. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's insane. Uh, I mean, uh, okay. yeah. So and, is, and, yeah, yeah sorry. No, no, go for it. Yeah. Just want to move on to the next question before we could carry on bashing away at the Apple store. Um, to newcomers of the genre, and there are newcomers, what out of the titles that Slytherin Games make would you recommend? Someone um, just, just appeared at the store, never seen it before, much like myself, and go, well, which, there's thousands of them. Which, which one would you go, yeah, if you're new to this, or just, just try that, that's awesome. I know I you, think, it's, it's a bit uh, awkward for you to ask this, but just form an idea. Well, I mean, you know, if, if, you, if you don't know about us, you're probably on the lighter end of our audience. So right. I, would, I would recommend a, a game um, that, um, that we launched uh, last year called Order of Battle. Order of Battle is a super modern version of a Panzer General, I would say. Um, and uh, it has all the ingredients to appeal to uh, what we call the beer and pretzel uh, war gamers. Uh, so it's a, li- it's a light war game uh, where your strategy layer blends in very well with the tactical layer. So it's it, there's a bit of planning, there's a bit of um, sort of operational level type of war of warfare, but most of it is, you know, placing you know placing the tanks in the right position and um, and you know making sure that that they're um, in the right uh, path for being refueled and um, you know uh, it, it's kind of hard, easy to get into so that you can discover what a war game is about um, slowly. Um, and um, and actually, it, it's a game that it very, very well uh, was actually included in some of the you know best strategy games lists uh, last year. Um, so I, I think that that's a sort of the, the, the best way of starting. Um, of course, if you're, if you're a fan of Warhammer, then it, it, you know the Warhammer Armageddon game is has all the ingredients to appeal to the Warhammer fans because if they know the miniatures and and the gameplay of the miniatures they will find some similarities and it's a war game so you will you will see that you know it blends with like you know your your passion for the Warhammer stuff and the genre um, and then we've got some awkward I mean we've got some games which are you know pretty obscure but also did very well uh, in in terms of you know being perceived as indie games. Uh, a couple of years ago, we released a game called Quadriga, which believe believe it or not is a is a um, a chariot racing strategy game. Sure. Um, where where I mean it's been super well received and uh, and and did very well. It's just you know uh, it, it's a very interesting concept. Uh, and again, you know, how do you how do you innovate? I think that's uh, that's a very good way of looking into this. Um, we do uh, we have you know a game called Distant Words um, is uh, I saw from, that that one that piqued my interest because I love four X games. Yeah, I mean, Distant Words is a good example of you know it's a it's a game that sells a lot of units, like a lot of units. And, and again, well, that's an example of, okay, we sell the game, we don't, we don't sell the brand. Distant Words is probably in the top five best-selling um, Forex games of the last 
four or five years. It's um, it's been super well reviewed. It was uh, a couple of years ago at the end of the year. It was uh, amongst the um, top ten uh, most played games on Steam in terms of hours played. Um, so it's a game that you know it's out there. It's it's really something that's being recognized uh, by the players. Um, and it's but it's a complex game. I mean, as a, like every forex game, you know, can't yeah. expect to be an arcade. No, it starts you know. off the, the the learning curve for those is very shallow initially, and then eventually you get this spike. I don't know about you encountered this before. Like, whoa, where's this gone? I don't. How am I supposed to manage this? And yeah, it gets some of the the, the the ones that don't quite get that right. You know that that quite yeah. all. If I, I don't think you know. Uh, I'm just that's a, a trope or a problem with those games if they suddenly become a spike or the other one is where you can see the code or you see the numbers and it ceases to be a game but a spreadsheet yeah, yeah <laughs> I think it is. Master of Orion 3 suffered from that terrible terrible it's, uh, we've, we've got actually a new 4X game releasing in uh, uh, at the end of March okay uh, called, called Polaris Sector uh, it's, it's already out uh, uh, as a coming soon on Steam um, that's um, that's a game we we have very high hopes for, mainly because it's it's a really different take on forex games, uh, okay. a very a very different technology tree, which is some some of the things that forex games usually struggle with, um, and um, a, a really interesting um, ship builder. Uh, you know, uh, ways you, you can really, you know, create like so millions of ways to create personal, personalized ships. That's uh, uh, it's going to be interesting. I, I really look forward to it. Um, it's going it's to be one of the games that we sort of try and break out of the niche and make sure that we, you know, push towards a, a wider, a much wider audience. Speaking of changes and differences and things, um, nice segue. But uh, what has been the key aspect of turn-based strategy games that has evolved recently? I know this is a bit of a designer question, but I just want to know, what, as an observer or as a publisher of these games, what have you found that's been changing and becoming more and more prevalent and other things have fallen away? I think that, you know, over the last three years, there's been, there's been a, a huge uh, Revitalization of the of the whole genre. Um, the, I think it started with very much with Steam and 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 the the fact that Steam allowed the speaker audience to tap into uh, the the wider you know subgenres. And Steam and iOS did a lot of help into this because especially on the iOS you have like. It's easy to it's easier to create a turn-based strategy game rather than a, a real-time strategy game, and then you know cross-pollination between Steam and iOS helped this this genre to evolve a lot. And with evolve, I mean there has been a load of um, adaptation of board games uh, on both platforms. Um, there has been a lot of evolution in Grand strategy with, with paradox titles, um, Open Universalis, you know, the, 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 the whole, um, heritage of these games. Um, and, and we did our, our big part, I think, with, you know, trying to put, um, especially with Battle Academy, Panzer Corps, these games have been really, have put 
this genre in front of a much bigger audience, both Thai-based and 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 hex-based, or even region-based turn-based strategy games, they have sort of appealed to a, a much wider audience, um, and both through I think clever, simpler mechanics, but without compromising in depth. Uh, one of the things we see is that immediately, if you make the graphics a little bit more appealing and uh, the feedback not so overwhelming, I mean, don't give the players too many stats and such. Even the, if the game is exact, the gameplay is exactly the same as the super complex one. People will get into these games much easier. Yeah, um, I think you're right. The interface design and and feedback on to the player that's one of the biggest things evolved on many different fronts that people don't understand or realize people are getting better at making these for multiple reasons primarily because they're being taught better they're being trained better to do it by their peers by people who've done it before but also they've had to because other mediums other things like books and television and are getting better at delivering their content so they expect their other entertainment mediums to follow suit and it's all been it's like a big feedback loop because it's like this is a whole dissertation in itself but i just genuinely believe that you know i recently i picked up a copy of the second edition D books and there's a relevance to this and i picked it up and opened and it's barely intelligible I mean, the text in it is barely intelligible. It's just like how anyone could play a game from it, I don't know. Because it was pretty much gibberish. It was almost written for the author themselves. In other words, almost useless. Whereas you get a book now, I'm, I'm playing a pen and paper game called Lone Wolf. It's beautiful. It's still the same medium, still a book. But someone actually sat down and it, it was released late last year and it is a beautifully designed, compact well put together game and beautifully described and understood and offers and and doesn't patronize the player and the text and the layout and the wording and the spacing just the spacing and the the coloring of the pages ease the reading of it all of these things and i think that's feeding into everything else and what what's been you know like you say it's all about the interface the game core mechanics is still the freaking same over the past 30 40 years because it works it works brilliantly because how else are you going to you know represent a battle without one versus the other and it's it's you know you take the turn it's just how it works but to actually present it in a way that's understandable and approachable that's the magic of it all do you agree I, I do agree. I think, you know, uh, it takes me back to my memories of playing role-playing games, pen and paper role-playing games. Uh, the first time I actually uh, started playing the, I think it was called MURP, the uh, the Middle-Earth role-playing. Okay. Um, it was just the most complex, absurd uh, thing. Although we were kind of experienced role-playing gamers, we were like, what the hell is this? Yes. You know, you had to, there was a, you know, throwing a dice for everything, like virtually everything. And, and, and I could see that, uh, that was what made RPGs so niche and, yeah. and us so nerds. Um, and over the years, uh, this has not changed a lot up until the recent times. And, and, you know, if, if you make these, 
these more approachable. Anything you make it more approachable makes it makes it wider in terms of audience potentially. But also, you know, if if you, only if you manage not to compromise with the depth of the game themselves. Yeah, I mean, if there's if there's no if it's easy and there's no depth, then people yeah. get bored very easily. Yeah, and that's that's. I mean, we'll, it is, there's this uh, there's a great RPG out there called Dread. It's a little book about A5 size. And it's about you know half an inch thick, if that, about, about five mil thick. Not much to it, but it's it doesn't have any dice. No, it has a Jenga tower. Right. <laughs> so you have a Jenga tower in the middle, and whenever you do a skill check, the DM or the GM says, "Well, you need to, you know, pull a block out. <laughs> if it falls over, then bad things happen." Okay. And so initially, as the game progresses, initially everything's fine. If it's you know, every skill check is is easy, but as the game progresses, it gets more and more perilous. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's an ingenious mechanic. It's terrifying because it's a horror game. And that's the whole point. It's whole, and, and even if it's even if the the tower is is fall, falls over by accident, whoever caused it to fall over um, suffers a, a severe, typically death penalty. <laughs> um, so everyone sort of towards you know go step away from the table. No one touch the table <laughs> because it's you know it's really right. sort of creaking and stuff. So yeah, look it up, dread. It's terrifying. I will. I will. Yeah, it's a, it's you can, you can get a PDF from it and download it, and then just we buy you know a, 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 like a six or seven euro picking Jenga tower from a, a, a charity store. You know that's it. That's the game, and it's brilliant, absolutely brilliant. So brilliant. on that on that note, it's just last question now, and it's a little bit sad, but you know all good things come to an end. Um, <laughs> how have you found? And you may go, Chris, this is not true, but have you found that the renaissance or the re-emergence of tabletop board gaming influenced at all the output you're producing or publishing? Do you think it's helped? Uh, that's, a, that's a good question, actually. Um, I probably have to think about it uh, <laughs> for hours and, and, and get back to you. But no, I think, I think that there is... Um, the, the resurgence of board games um, have brought is was caused by video games somehow. Yes, it was. Uh, yes, it was. Because these guys had to be, you know, had to become a bit more. Okay, well, what do we do now to attract our audience? Because we've got this competition there, uh, stealing time out of our players, um, and they've, they've started to become very clever in game mechanics and coming up with very cool stuff, and uh, and so. Uh, People now have a real choice. They can decide which one, you know, what, what, how to use their time. Uh, I think there has been a, a little bit of a, uh, a sleeping industry over, you know, over a number of years where the board games industry was like, uh, was just watching, uh, and leaving on the successes of the, you know, of a very few games. Nowadays, uh, because the board game industry has Become so strong over the last two or three years, um, it, it is pretty true that the designer, the video game designers, are looking at these mechanics and copying or taking inspiration from these. Yeah. Um, and and we see it just because I mean there's a load like a probably every single successful board game has been ported to digital. Yeah. Um, it's you know you see the in the Warhammer. Um, world 
you see it in the tabletop or gaming where you know where we act as, as a primary player there's so many uh, digital versions of you know real life um, real life board games and, and war games that you know you can't really you can't really avoid seeing that and now but if you the, think about it if yeah. you think about it it's the same thing that happened probably 10 15 years ago with pen and paper RPGs they were ported to digital you know never winter nights and Baldur's Gate and Diablo the Diablo yeah. there's this uh, these games were were the digital representation of your fantasy RPGs. Yeah, and and and, and we loved them uh, without the mess and the dice and the yeah the, yeah the, the and complex rule yeah. books that no one could understand. Um, so yeah, yeah. I mean, there's also the hybrid games. I call them hybrid games where you have digital aspects of it in the game. Uh, the XCOM board game, you need a you need a tablet to use it to, to play it. Yeah, I'm not really a big fan of these things, but uh, you know, I, I, I guess that I'm just describing it. I'm not saying it's a good yeah. or a bad thing. I'm just saying it's happened. Yeah, um, no, I, have, I have issues with it too because what happens when the app dies uh, or they can't buy it anymore? Then it's not much of a game, is it? Um, thankfully, there are games out there that say that you don't need this. You can you can play this without it. Um, one of the games is Alchemist. Beautiful game, really fun. It's best with the uh, with the app, but if you can't get the app, not to worry, still play without it. Mm. Yeah, it's a bit, it's a bit like Skylander for grown-ups, really. Um, <laughs> yeah, I guess it is. So on that note, Marco, it's been fantastic having you on. Thank you very, very much for appearing. We'd love to have you back on. Maybe talk about a specific game and or collection of games or something you've got uh, up, up, up to offer later on in the year or something like that. Would be great. But in the meantime, wish you the very, very best of luck in your future endeavours. And thank you for telling us all about Slytherin Games. Thank you, guys. Uh, it's been a pleasure. And um, yeah, I hope to, um, uh, that I have some, some good stories to tell and you um, enjoyed the time. Yeah, I did. I'm sure everyone else did too. And so ends another episode of the Sausage Factory. Do leave us an iTunes review and you can also, don't forget, listen to us on Stitcher.com. So just go to Stitcher.com and you can stream the show from there. You just look up the Sausage Factory and you can find us. That'd be great. You can follow me on Twitter at Chris O'Regan, no apostrophes. And uh, if you want to email me, any feedback on the show or actually you're a developer you listen to this show and want your game featured on it please do email me at chris at spong.com bye